Tuesday's challenge was how do I get overscheduled, busy people to do what we did naturally just a few decades ago, where we would meet together with friends, where we felt like we had time to meet together with friends and not just work and come home and and scroll and be disconnected. So we're, we're overscheduled and we're unconnected. How do I get people that I care about to commit six weeks to joining in this 40 Days of Purpose small group that we're going to do? That was Tuesday's that was Tuesday's adventure. So then uh, we have three kids, and so my job was to pick up the, the uh, eight-year-old from the dentist on Tuesday and take her to school, sign her in, check her in, walk her to her classroom, the hug, the kiss, and then the parent handoff. Parents, can I get an amen? In the olden days, back in my day, by the way, my sister's here today, and she has no stories, but in the olden days, you know, you were... You were free-range children. We don't do that anymore. So I got to the classroom, and I did the parent handoff. I established eye contact with the teacher. I waved. She acknowledged, okay, she's now yours. And I head off to figure out how do I get disconnected, over-scheduled people to commit for six weeks when they're convinced they can't. So then uh, this will be more information you want to know, but I think, well, you know, I've had a lot of coffee, so I go to the little boy's room. And, uh, and I walk in, and it's an interior room. There's, there's no lights. There's no, there's no uh, windows. And so as the door is closing, I realize the light's not come. I assumed there's an automatic light. Are we, trusting, are we trusting second grade boys to be in control of a light switch? That strikes me as unwise. I just assume it's an automatic light. I'm walking to my destination. The door's closing. No windows. It's dark. Wow. So I turn around, I go back to the door. Just as I turn on the light switch, the door opens, it floods with light. And I say, hi, Luke, because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a caring parent. I'm involved. I know the kids' names. And he said, hi, Mr. Soderholm. Lady, that's it. That's the end of all discussion in a little boy's room, men's room. We're, we're not in there to chat. So uh, we take care of business. Luke leaves. I'm washing my hands, and it strikes me. If I had just paused one more moment before I went over to turn on the light switch, I would have just been an old guy in the dark in a little boy's room. Can I get an amen? <laughs> and I thought, man, life gets weird in a hurry. Now, the people there know me. They trust me. The 15-year-old was there as a kindergartner. I've been dropping kids off late for a lot of years. So the office staff knows me, but... I thought, yeah, this is what we're talking about. In our family, we start stories with, so there I was. Because it just sets the stage. You've had some stories just this week in recent months where you did not expect it to happen, where it got weird in a hurry. So there I was. I had a plan, and now it's different. So the reason why today is sign up for small group Sunday, even though you are convinced you don't have time, sign up anyway for the next six weeks. We're going to have this go to the top of our priority list starting Super Bowl Sunday next week. We're going to actually have the Super Bowl and have a party. So in the kids' room, they've got the best sound system. Well, this one's good, but they have a good sound system. So the game will be on with sound and the door closes. So dad's Keep the betting down. We're not saying none, right? Just reasonable. Nothing over $1,000. So in that room, 
Uh, if you want to watch the Super Bowl, you can actually watch the Super Bowl, and it'll just be people seriously watching the Super Bowl. And uh, then out in in the cement room, we're just going to have we're just going to have fun. The game the game will be on in the corner, but no no sound. What? Right. The the, the heckling is really in really increased here. You know we need we need more cops. That's what we need. We need more cops. But uh, I don't know. We don't know. We don't acknowledge anything. We, we did this in Midtown. We did a big Super Bowl party. And we got a cease and desist order. So uh, so no, any gambling, we know nothing about it. But but out in the big room, there will be a, a chili cook-off with games. So there's a sign-up sheet. So if you've got award-winning chili, uh, sign up, and, uh, and we will do our best for you competitive people to take all the fun out of it. Can I get an amen? That's what we're shooting for. There'll be snoring hot dogs. There's uh, Chicago dogs, like real ones, and not the fake ones we do on Burger Sunday, but like the real ones. And uh, it should be just fun. So next Sunday, come, and if you really are feeling like you're going to miss the Super Bowl, we'll send you in the room, and you can watch it in there. That's our kickoff event for the 40 Days of Purpose. Years ago, Rick Warren, big pastor, Southern California, he was trying to explain to busy people how Christianity works, why you want this in your life. So he took a sabbatical and he wrote this incredible book called The 40 Days of uh, the Purpose Driven Life. It's based on a 40 Days of Purpose small group for six weeks. You're going to read the book every day, and you're going to meet with your group once uh, a week in the evening, probably, and then we'll talk about it on Sunday. And I'm telling you, if after six weeks you don't have a genuine life change, I said last week, I'll bet you 100 bucks. Now, my sock drawer has only got $1,100 in it, so I can bet 11 of you $100. Or if we make it 50, I can bet 22 of you uh, $50 that your life will change. You come up with an actual prayer, a specific prayer. You write it down, date it. I will sign it. In, in six weeks, you will be amazed by God's answer. That's what I'm saying. I think that might be the only other. I just said don't bet for the Super Bowl. Does betting on prayer, does that blur the lines? I'm not going to get a cease and desist order from anybody on that one. So this is going to be great. It's worth it. I know you're busy, and I know that you don't have time. Um, Remember the old Homer Simpson joke, alcohol, the cause of and solution to most of life's problems? People are the cause of and solution to most of life's problems. So we're going to pick some good people. I'm going to be responsible. I've got a team of people going to help me tomorrow. We'll take the sign-up sheet, and, uh, and we'll, we'll make groups happen. And I guarantee you they'll be good. And if they're not, most of you have my number anyway. Just call and say, who put this loser in my group? And we'll, we'll fix it. But I promise you, it'll be great. In the olden days, we were able to meet together with friends, find common ground, skip the things that we probably shouldn't that we we're not going to agree on and have a really rich relationship. When I say the olden days, I mean like six years ago, right? Do you remember when we used to do that? And now, now we, we don't. So we're going we're gonna to get back to it because life was better. So your life will be changed for the better forever. Six weeks, Easter Sunday, which is a little more than six weeks, but, you know, we're signing up Sunday today. For, uh, for your time and $20, I guarantee you, for all the materials, it'll be great. I mean, what else were you going to do between now and Easter except watch too much TV and dread the upcoming election, right? So let's focus differently. And um, I'm just telling you, life gets weird fast. This will be 
better for you. I was listening to an old guy talking to a, one old guy. This week, uh, Wednesday, went right off the rails for me. No, it was Thursday. It went right off the rails for me. He was like, oh, man, up to eight minutes ago, I really enjoyed my life. So I don't know what you do when that happens, but I call people who I know will make me feel better. So I called one of my old guy friends. He's facing back surgery. He barely gets out of the house anymore. And, and I, I call him, and except for the initial mocking me because I haven't called in a little while, it was one of those conversations that just makes you feel like a million bucks. What do I care if he's got back surgery coming up? I didn't feel good, and that's the main thing. Just from talking to him, do you have people like this in your life where just talking to them makes you feel great no matter what the situation is? That's what we want in life. And this guy said to me one time, we were talking about goals a long time ago, he said, set big goals. And I was like, okay, what is that, a book you read? And he said, no. He said, you set big goals. He, he owned businesses. He did great in life. He said, you set big goals, not for what you're going to achieve, because maybe you'll achieve it, maybe you won't. He said, you set big goals for what it does to you as a person, for the kind of person that it makes you to be, because now you have to take this big goal, and now you've got to break it down in steps. You have to figure out who you need to have help you, and you have to then get to work, follow through. You don't set big goals because you're going to achieve it. You set a big goal for the, because it makes you a better person than you are right now. Like, wow. That was the same guy. He's loaded. So several years ago, I don't know, 25 years ago, it was a long time ago, I said to him, um, we're talking about big goals, right? And I said, if, if I only had the million dollars. And he said, what would you do with a million dollars? Well, now I'm excited because he could write that check. You know what I'm saying? So I list what I would do with a million dollars. And he said, boy, those are great goals. That's those, terrific. Yeah, I think that would be worthy. And I'm like, it's this easy? And he said, I'm not going to give you the million. Go do it anyway. Oh. But he's right. You know what? I never got the million, and we're on track for most of those goals. That was his whole point. He set a big goal, not because you're guaranteed to reach it, but because it makes you a better person. The reason why we're going to set a big goal that Easter Sunday, your life will be genuinely better. It's not that your life's going to turn perfect. We follow Jesus, who ended dead on a cross. Now, he didn't stay dead, but that's a bad day. Can I get an amen? Derek, atheist Derek, who's usually in the back, he's in Ireland right now. And so to kiss up to his pastor of the church he attends, even though he believes none of it, whenever he travels for work, he goes to cathedrals. So he's at St. Patrick's this week, and he took some pictures. And one of them was a picture of Jesus on the cross in St. Patrick's, Patrick's Cathedral in Ireland. And Jesus, had, it looks broken. It looks like this guy's not going to make it. And he didn't. We follow Jesus, and somehow we think God's going to make our life easier. That's not in there. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And that is really disappointing. Can I get an amen? In this life, there will be trouble. But don't lose heart. I've overcome the world. So it ends well. What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail ultimately? Sometimes Jenny, she's watching something, and I'll see her do this, right? She meets the characters. She likes the characters. She'll do this to the end. She'll scrub to the end. Oh, that character's not there. Don't root for him. 
right? Or she goes all the way to the end and everybody's smiling and all the characters are there. Okay, so it ends well. Let's see what happens. Our middle child doesn't like plot. She meets the characters. She loves the resolve. All that middle part doesn't like it. That's our life. Our whole life is plot. It's adventure. We're supposed to trust that it ends well. Is it going well right now? Well, could be better. Could be better. But there's some good things. There's not good things. This is the life we live. We're supposed to live it with the God of the universe. Love God and love others. We're supposed to do this together. You can go through almost anything if you have friends to go through it with. Grammatically. Well, you know what I was going for right there. We're supposed to go through, through this together because life gets weird. It's not going to be as smooth as we would like it to be. The reason why we set big goals, Easter is going to be a big change, is so everything's perfect on Easter? No. It's that we're a better person after doing this for six weeks. Jesus said, Jesus called us to do this together. Jesus said, take this most seriously. A yes on earth is yes in heaven. A no on earth is a no in heaven. What you say to one another is eternal. What he's saying is, use your words. Use them appropriately. For our fast that we did earlier in the year, I took a fast of New York humor. 87% successful, if you know what I'm saying. What we say here matters. What we do here matters. C.S. Lewis, the Chronicles of Narnia writer, said, every time you meet a fellow human, you're not meeting a mere mortal. You're meeting an eternal being. We should treat each other as such. Jesus said, what you say to one another here, it matters. Jesus said, I mean this. When two of you get together on anything at all on earth and make a prayer of it, my Father in heaven goes into action. Oh, so all we have to do is the two of us pray and the cancer is healed and the job gets fixed and the relationship works out? No. God gets to work. Have you ever talked to someone really wise? Let's say, for instance, you're asking a wealthy person if they can give you a million dollars and the answer isn't what you want. But you know what? It was a, it was a great answer. When two or three of you are together because of me, you can be sure that I'll be there. That's the promise. We're not alone. A few years ago, this didn't seem like that big of a promise, right? Well, I'd like a little alone time. Now, we are so incredibly disconnected. The fact that the God of the universe says, I am with you always, wow. If we could just get our head around that, we are guaranteed as a child of God for this to end well if we would just embrace the fact that God is with us through all of this. It's going to get weird. We're on a family bike ride yesterday. And uh, what was the sign, Hottie? Mountain lion. So my sister and her husband are not from here. So to them, the fact that lions are roaming around maybe is a cause for concern. We've been here 20 years. We're completely jaded. And we had to pretend that was an issue. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's terrible. That's just crazy. Then I'm showing my brother-in-law funny mountain lion videos. I don't know. I don't think he was on board. Have you seen the one where they're at the Van Lowe's Vantana Canyon, the mountain lion's walking along and the door's open? The mountain lion could have just walked in like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. And instead, the door's open and it scares him, so he runs towards people faster. We laughed and laughed and laughed. My brother-in-law did not. It gets weird. We need to do this together. Is it always going to be as smooth as we'd like? No, we were just going for a family bike ride. Why are there notices about mountain lions are stalking? 
pedal faster. I don't know. We'll be fine. You know, to be honest, the eight-year-old was with us. I think we're probably all okay. I think she's the one that should be worried. Later in the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews said, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. It gets weird. Are we going to remember that God is with us? For God can be trusted to keep his promise. And the promise is life will always be smooth as glass. No, that is nowhere in there. It's not in the front. It's not in the middle. It's not in the back. The promise is I will be with you. Verse 24, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Why? Because it doesn't come naturally. Verse 25, let us not neglect our meeting together. I'm telling you, he was talking about 40 days of purpose, six weeks. He didn't write it specifically, but that's what he meant. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. Losers, not us. People who don't sign up. But encourage one another through mocking, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Which is written 2,000 years ago. Jesus is coming soon. Like 2,000 years. The thing is, once it's in place, it's always in place. Jesus is coming back. In our lifetime, eh, Anybody tells you there's a date when Jesus is returning? Jesus said, I don't know when I'm returning. That's the Heavenly Father's worry. He'll let me know. If anybody ever gives you a date of when Jesus is returning, all you know is you're talking to someone who is wrong. Because if Jesus doesn't know he's returning, nobody else has scheduled that visit. So Jesus is coming back. And whether Jesus comes back in our lifetime or not, our lifetime is limited. We don't have to do this forever. This adventure that we're on together has an end point. Don't be in a hurry, but it has an end point. But eternity doesn't. What we do now, what's that gladiator phrase, echoes into eternity. Our yes matters, our no matters, the way we treat each other matters. Jesus said the point of life, love God, love others. And the solution to loneliness, the solution to all of our fears, some of which are very legitimate, some of you should be more worried than you are. Right? Just looking at your life, you are being way... I don't think you're paying attention. But we can get too worried. We can get too fearful. We, if we forget, our life can feel like it doesn't have meaning. If we forget that God isn't God, part of our lives, never alone, and we're supposed to do this together, use our God-given gifts to serve others, be in relationship with each other, the eternal relationship we are invited into is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's always been the way it works. Relationship. Easier for some of us. Some of us are more introverted. My sister was telling a little, again, she doesn't have any other stories, so don't ask her, but she was telling some stories to our kids last night who are pretty excited to hear some stories about Dad, I can tell you. And I started to sweat profusely because she's known me a long time. And... She was just telling cute little kid stories, of like when I was 18 months old. And I was still the same. Walk into a room, hey, everybody. I was the same. And my wife laughed because she's like, man, you haven't changed or matured since you were 18 months old. There's this whole concept we're talking about in society now of third spaces, right? You've got your home, you've got your work. But what are the th- what's that third space? You've got home, you've got work. What's the third space? It used to be church. And the Lions Club for my, or VFW or, or the bowling alley. You had your places. We don't do that anymore. We just have home and work. And we don't even go to the store. 
we have them deliver it to us or we just drive up and they, they deliver it to us. They just bring it out to the car. Where's our third space? Where do we just interact with normal human beings? Well, that's what we're working, about, working on. My sister would come home uh, from her nursing school telling us the funny stories. And the funny stories are all about people. People are funny. Way too often, I find it's me. Really, I can't tell you how thankful I am. I made it to the light switch before Luke opened the door. That was just a bit weirder than I was after. Funny stories. People are funny. People aren't always funny. But we've traded screen time too often for real human interaction, and it's a bad trade. Our kids now have Nintendo Sports. Yesterday, they were playing badminton Nintendo Sports. Any guess what's in our backyard? A badminton net. So I said, how about we go outside and I'll join you there. And the 15-year-old, who's wildly practical, said, Ted, or Dad, we've hit all of the badminton birdies onto the roof. So until the next windstorm, we're going to be playing Nintendo Sports badminton. Well, I can't argue with reality, but it's a bad trade to trade screen time for actual human interaction. His point is, but we're all playing this together. Oof, you got me. You remember having good friends, but now we're too busy. There's kids and there's job and then there's the things. So I, I've been looking at this stuff, right? So here's a, here's a study. The average American, two hours a day scrolling on social media. Two to three hours a day watching TV shows and then videos. And two to three hours a day of what they call fake work. This was my personal favorite trying to multitask, whether it's doing laundry or work on the computer, and every 10-minute job takes two hours because we're distracted. We can't just focus. Ding, a notification. We have to check it. We get out of the workflow. We don't feel we have enough time because we keep spending time doing things that aren't helpful. And not everything is a bad idea. But it's good, good things that you're doing. The question is, can we trade that for better things, at least for six weeks. Good things that take our time. Here's a classic one. Money isn't a sin. I think the Bible says money is a sin. No, God invented money so that we're motivated to interact with each other because people are challenged. I like people and I know a lot of losers. Can I get an amen? A lot of them. Money, the old Jewish thought is, God invented money to motivate us to interact because you have a gift I have a gift. We're supposed to use our gifts to serve each other and in return get certificates of appreciation. I'm trying to figure out how do I bring up to my brother-in-law that our back toilet doesn't flush as well as it used to so we don't have to call a plumber because he's handy. Three days. I notice I haven't mentioned it yet, but I keep thinking about it. He may have just heard that. But I may have to call a plumber to come over and fix the fact that it used to go whoosh and now it goes why? Because I don't have those gifts. Whatever gift it is, I don't have it. I have different gifts. So you have your gift. I have my gift. We're supposed to use those gifts to serve each other, and in return, we get certificates of appreciation that we then give people to use their gifts to serve us. That's the motivation. The reason why the old guy didn't give me the million dollars is because he was pretty convinced I'd go right off the rails and achieve nothing. You can burn through a million dollars. He wanted me to become the person that could do that on my own. 
God invented money to encourage and motivate relationships. It's not money that's the sin. It's the love of money, which means that money is more important than God. That's the sin. Anything can be more important than God. Christianity is not a vow of of poverty. All kinds of wealthy people in the Bible. Jesus didn't need a bunch of money because he could just create it. They owed the temple tax. And Jesus said to Peter, well, go catch a fish. It'll have a coin for you and me in its mouth. And Peter's like, well, this just got weird. Peter's a fisherman. He went and caught one fish. And sure enough, there were two coins in it. Never caught a fish, but if I thought there were coins in them, I might go fishing. Two Roman coins. So Jesus sends Peter to go fishing, and he goes fishing, catches the fish, has two coins. So they, you know, smell a little bit, but you just turn them in. Here's for Jesus and for me. Well, then the fact that Jesus didn't need money, Jesus was above the system. The rest of us need money. Wanting money, managing money well, it's not a sin. It's the love of money, basing our lives on money. That's the sin. Christianity is not a vow of poverty. The Judeo-Christian Western culture is the wealthiest in history. That's not a discussion topic. That's math. God's way works because it's God's world. It's a very logical world. So for 40 days of purpose, we're going to set the goal. You pick it. And if you want to bet me the 100 bucks, you can. And when it happens, you keep the $100. I'm just excited for you. So you set your goal. The way you set a goal is you get prayed up. You be specific. You write it down. And you ask wise people smart questions. What am I missing? What do I need to do? Community. You get prayed up. You be specific. You write it down. And ask wise people smart questions. And you will be amazed. One of the keys to that is to be the kind of person that wise people wants around asking questions. Can I get an amen? Shut up, kid. You don't want to be that person. So for six weeks, we're going to set a big goal of life change. We want to get back to not that far back in history, learn from the wisdom of others. Before TV and people back in the day had front porches, they had friends. Remember in school how easy it was to have friends? And you get out in the real world and you realize, wow, mom and dad paid bills. This is no fun. And it's a lot more difficult to meet people. It's just tougher to meet people once you're out of school. We uh, have movie rooms and surround sound and high definition, and I'm just going to tell you, nobody really wants to see Rick Warren in high def. Rick Warren has a lot of gifts in the world. His physical appearance is not one of them. But I've hugged the guy. He smells fine, but he's, you know, he's, he's not a beauty. And to see him in high definition, it's going to be a little rough, especially since we're using old DVDs that weren't meant for it. But we're can, we can handle it for six weeks. So here's the big finish. Here's a a story from my time in London. So where I went to school, where Rick Warren is now the chancellor, he wanted to be chancellor, they made him chancellor. He retired from his church in Los Angeles. So it was this old mansion. It was donated to the college in 1923. I was there in the late 90s, and it had been just a bunch of old, white, bald British people keeping, keeping it going. So everything was just painted white. The big room you walked into was really grand. And there was one room, the old drawing room, that still had some semblance of character. Everything else had been painted into oblivion. But this room is my leadership class. I walk in, middle of the week, warm day. 
and the fire is crackling in the fireplace, big, ornate fireplace. Picture like an old, I've never seen Downton Abbey, Downtown Abbey. I've never seen it, but I think, isn't that set back like when the Titanic sank? So picture that kind of big drawing room in an old mansion. This room looked great. Had the stamped tin ceiling and, and windows all the way around, out onto the balcony overlooking the one bit of grass. Beautiful room. And we all face the fireplace because otherwise we'd be distracted by birds. So I walk in, and the fire is crackling on a warm day at 10 o'clock in the morning. What's the point of having a fire on a warm day at 10 o'clock in the morning? It's London. You always need a fire, and it's never going. But this day, there's a fire. It's 10 in the morning. You can barely see it. The sun is shining. So I sit down. And the professor said, one of you came to me this week with a question. And it was a question I wanted, I wanted to answer in class to everybody because I think it's a good question. So then he goes to the classmate, and in this, uh, you know, British accent, he says, I'm concerned that when I leave seminary where I have all these friends and go take a job in a church, that I'll be alone, that I'll be lonely. And all of us thought, yeah, that's a great question. We're going to leave this school. We're all on the same page. We're all taking the same classes. We're all doing the same things. It's easy to have friends here, even though they don't speak properly. And then we're going to just be jettisoned out into the world. And so the professor said, let me tell you about the program that you know something about, but let me tell you the why. So Spurgeon's has this great program. When you graduate, you go through your three years, and uh, it's not like here where you take various classes. Everybody goes through together. You, everybody had leadership class that week, whether it was Tuesday or Friday. Everybody had leadership class, so then you can talk about it. Everybody had the same assignments. It was always essays, very British. And he said, when you're done here, you're going to be assigned a group, and one of the professors is going to be the leader of your group, and they're going to assign a book, and every month for the first year, it's all London, you're going to get on the train and you're going to come back to Spurgeon's College. And you're going to meet. It's going to feel like a classroom for the first year. And you're not going to want to come, but you have to come. And then after one year, it went to quarterly until five years was up. And then it moved to every year you come back to your group. And you're responsible for your own transportation cost. A pound. I mean, you know, it's not that much. And we knew that was true because... On a regular basis, we lived in a wing. My room was in a wing of this mansion. It would just get weird. All these old guys hooping and hollering and yelling and laughing like fools because it was their day to come back. And they had graduated 35 years before. Here's a, well, I would say a funny story, but there's death of a child. So less funny, not comedy, not ha-ha funny story. But some of us are old enough to remember the musician Eric Clapton. So his child, Connor, fell out of a window in New York City and died. And he wrote a song, Tears from Heaven, and the whole bit. But Eric Clapton at the time was living just north of London in his big mansion. I don't know. I've never seen it. So one of the Spurgeon's guys was the pastor of the local church. And a friend said, hey, would you go see my friend Eric? His baby, his little kid died in America. So, sure, the guy goes over, and he walks in, and it's a big house, right? He notices, and there's all kinds of guitars on the wall. So this guy, no idea who Eric Clapton, the famous world-class musician, is, said, do you play these guitars? <laughs> and Eric Clapton said, yeah, you know, sometimes. And, and so he went out, and they had a great time, and Eric Clapton found it helpful, obviously. 
And so the minister said, would you be willing to come to my little church and play a song one time? And so, yeah, so Eric Clapton shows up at church, plays Amazing Grace and something else, I don't remember. And the whole church is like, why is Eric Clapton here? Is this the new band? What? And this guy had no idea. And he was the one telling us the story, and he was very good-natured about it as everybody's laughing at him. Maybe you'd be aware of the Beatles while you're at it. Let's kick you up a little bit into popular culture. And he told the story, and everybody laughed. Every time he came back, every year, that was 1991. This was 1998, probably. Every year he came back, people made him tell the story, made him look like a complete idiot. And he laughed about it. Those guys would come back, and they would laugh with their friends. And I learned more in seminary from those guys. Because they would have lunch with us, they'd have breakfast with us, they'd have dinner with us, they would sit around, they would go to tea with us. There's a whole thing in London, I never really understood it, but we would just leave class and all go have bad tea and then go back to class, and that all made sense. And those guys would be there and they would tell the stories, you could ask them questions, and just by being them, man, I learned more how to be a minister from those guys. And so the, do you remember, the fireplace, 10 a.m.? So he's telling all of this. And he said, you will find that experience to be one of the most meaningful experiences of your life, right up there with your spouse and your children. That's how important that group is going to be for you. Remember, he's asking, asking the question, when I leave here, I'm afraid I'm going to be alone. And he said, then don't be. Come back. So he's got this crackling fire. At the very beginning, he took one of the logs and he put it out on the black stone, the, the hearth and so it was red and hot, right? It had just been on fire. And so he puts it down on the black stone, and he talks to the whole class about how important it's going to be for us to commit to being part of our group, to come back to read the book and come back for discussion. But the point really isn't the book discussion. It's a good book, but what we really need is the relationship, and we need that all of our lives. So I still go out to San Diego, because I don't know many ministers in, in Tucson. And just for that reason, because I've known these guys for 20 years, and I needed my group, and that's the group I knew, and so I still go out there on a regular basis. This guy said, it's like this. So he took the log out, right? And, and after talking the whole class, it's all, all, that was our whole leadership class, he did this. He wet his fingers, and he reached down, and he took this log, that had, this little stick that had been on fire and red hot, and now it cooled off. And he picked it up, and he threw it back in the fire. And he said, being alone will kill you faster than smoking or alcoholism. And then he walked out of class. Class dismissed. It's a, it's, that was 26 years ago. I still remember all of it. I can still smell it. It's a famous British illustration. If you did Alpha with us, Nicky Gumbel talked about it. But this guy was willing to pick up the cold stick and throw it back in the fire. So my question, after that weird experience with Luke in the bathroom is, are we willing to pick up the cold stick and throw it back in the fire? I hope so. I'm willing to bet you 100 bucks. So sign up, buy the book, read the book, fill in the booklet, 20 bucks. Watch the Rick Warren video in your small group that I'm going to put together because these people have the potential to be your friends. Some of them already will be. Invite someone to come with you. 
throw you, uh, throw you both back in the fire. So I'm 56. For 28 years, I felt God calling me to ministry, but I didn't want to do it. But 28 years ago, I committed myself to this truth. A Jesus-centered community is the, blessed pl- the best place for us to be safe enough to take off our masks and to know the healing power of being known and loved. Pretty good. <clears throat> One of my group in London that I then deserted because I came back to America because I wanted the hot check wrote me two weeks ago. And he just said, are you still excited to be a minister? Well, yeah. Are you not excited? How do you respond to that? I don't really want to call him. T-Mobile charges me. So I wrote back, said, uh, Yeah. What, what are your challenges? And he wrote me his list of challenges. And we wrote back and forth. And the reason why he contacted me is because the group in London, he didn't want to go and look him in the eye and admit, Oof, 28 years, maybe I'm done. But I'm safe here. And so we talked, and by the end he was excited again. Because seeing life change is what we're doing here. I'm telling you, 20 bucks in the time. Easter Sunday, you're going to be amazed. Sign-ups are in the lobby. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> Heavenly Father, it's amazing to me what struggles we have going on in this room right now. There's a lot of shame because we're afraid if people find out, they would think less of us. There's more than a little guilt over things that in hindsight we wish we could change, but we can't. But Lord, what you promise is forgiveness. What you promise is that we're not alone. What you promise is that this life is not all there is. Lord, may we live this life to the fullest while we're here, whether we're in a job or not, to use our gifts to serve those around us, to show those around us that we care. We really can go through almost everything if we feel like we're not going through it alone. Lord, give us the courage to use our words to make the effort. If there's anybody here today who doesn't know you, that ABC approach to the relationship with you. A is to admit we're sinners. We've been winging it on our own down here, and frankly, we're kind of tired of it. B is to believe that you've got better for us, that you are the creator of the universe. You created us on purpose just the way we are that most days you probably like us better than that maybe we like ourselves. Lord, would you give us the courage to believe that you're the one that makes us worthy of the throne room of God. And part C is to embrace being a child of God, to choose to follow you, to choose to be the best version of ourselves, not because we have to to earn your love, but because... You created us on purpose, and we want to live up to who you created us to be for as long as we have breath. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And everybody said, 